Anyway, uh, my name is Derek. If uh, I haven't met you before, I get to work with uh, all of our campuses here. I'm also on the executive team, and which is a fancy word for act like you know what you're doing when you really don't know what you're doing. So um, we are doing our best in the midst of all that we have. I thought that would get a laugh, but no. People are like, wait, like all the bosses know what's going on in the midst of this crazy, difficult, ridiculous time, right? And it's like, well, this is a crazy, difficult, ridiculous time. Don't know if you know that, but we are doing our best in the midst of what we are going through to center on what we know to be true, and we get to look at that today. I am excited to share with you about a trip that I got to go on this summer with my family. And uh, Christina and I found out that we were able to take our kids with us on this lifelong dream that we had of going to Nairobi in Kenya. And um, so I've got some pictures here. Uh, we were able to go to the Garden of Eden Children's Home. They, they house 37 children currently. We've got room for 50. And they just finished uh, a uh, building that we can bring lots of groups at to serve at this place. So we hope to have more trips uh, in the future and maybe God will tug on your heart and you might find yourself in the middle of some of the kindest people in the world. And we were also able to dance with about 500 children in our school at Savior King Academy. Here we are with uh, some of them. I'm the guy on the left teaching them all the moves and uh, they were quick learners. So that was good. No, actually, when we came, it was amazing. They were dancing and so full of energy, and uh, it's a day that our family will never forget. But I wanted to honor the incredible leadership of Thomas and Beatrice and the Amolo family. Their sacrifices uh, have made the, the, the children's home and the school a reality, as well as the generosity of the people of CTK. If you've given to that in any way, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We just had another team come back from there as well. But while we were there, they wanted us to have a little bit of fun too. And so they let us know that there was a giraffe sanctuary. And so they wanted to take us to this giraffe sanctuary. And my girls love giraffes. I don't know if it's because they're short and they have a really tall dad or because giraffes eat 18 hours a day and, you know, life goals. So... Whatever the reason, we decide we are going to go to see these giraffes. And as we get there, they hand you this bowl of food that you can feed these giraffes with by hand. And I actually have uh, a little bit of video for you. I got it. I got it. Go for it. This is our youngest, Devin, taking a very long piece of food and getting her first ever giraffe kiss. Maybe you've never been kissed by a giraffe. And again, life goals. So, uh, but Chloe's experience wasn't uh, near as adorable. Let's take a look. Yes, the people at the center told us Food for friendship. If you wanted friendship with a giraffe, you needed to feed it continuously. We know some friends like this, right? And um, in this case, the giraffe uh, was upset that Chloe stopped for a moment to take a picture. And it was like, what, what's going on? Like, keep the food coming. And that wasn't so adorable. So I'm here to tell you that like humans, giraffes have a good side and a bad side. Maybe you didn't know that before. So there's lots to learn here at 
church, thank you for coming. Um, but as we were headed back to the car, we see this sign, and it says giraffe trails. And we didn't know that giraffes needed a sign for trails or that there even were trails, but we were so glad that, 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 that someone had designated this area for giraffes to go hiking. And so we decided we are going to go on these trails and see if we can run into a real-life giraffe. There's six of us, and immediately one of our hosts, Beatrice, says, peace, I'm out. She heads back to center, the giraffe center, and um, she's like, no, I, I, I don't want to run into a big giraffe. And um, But anyway, that leaves five of us, and three of us are barreling ahead, and at every opening, there uh, is a sign, a clearly marked sign. And one side says, here is the direction that you can go that is fraught with danger, fraught with danger. And then there's the other side that's like, or you can return back to where you're normal and healthy and safe and everything will be okay. You can go back to center. And three of the four archers see the danger side and we realize that in order to see a real life giraffe, we have to go that direction. And the fourth much wiser archer we could hear behind us as she was explaining to our host Thomas that her three children were all pretty stubborn. And she said that once they get their mind set on something, they would be gone. And I'm like, honey, we only brought two of our kids. And she's like, I said what I said. And um, so anyway, we start running because we start seeing more and more giraffe droppings at the trails. And at every clearing, there's another sign and another invitation back to center. But we kept going deeper and deeper. And I started having so many thoughts. Like, what if we actually run into a giraffe? And can giraffes even turn around on these trails? I, I, I want you to imagine like what you think giraffe trails would look like. And you're probably thinking they're these big, wide, open trails. And you'd be totally wrong. Like, go out into trails anywhere where it gets really, really narrow and the trees just start coming in. And giraffe trails are like that, except they're even more narrow. And so you don't even know if they can make it through there. And, and you're, you're having all these thoughts. Do they go one at a time? Or is giraffe hiking like a team sport? You guys, you have so many thoughts when you're on giraffe trails. I kept thinking about the giraffe from Madagascar, you know, the freaked out one, Melvin, like screaming at us if we interrupted his peaceful walk. As we got farther and farther away, we kept hearing in the distance the inviting and beckoning from my loving wife and patient Kenyan host who had, who had given up some time ago, and they were just saying, back to center. Finally, Chloe, Devin, and I gave up the idea of running into giraffes, and we head back to center. We came back past the warning signs, the giraffe droppings, through the narrow trails, and it was easy to come back. At every turn, there was a sign pointing us back to center. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's full of prophets, and they're, they're continually calling the people of God back. And, and, and in the book of Samuel, there's a prophet named Samuel, and he says, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of all the foreign gods, of all the stuff that gets in the way. Rid yourself of everything and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. I didn't grow up learning about prophets, but they seem to have a pretty common message. Return 
to God. Go back to center. So how did you grow up? I mean, I know that someone fed you and you got bigger, but I mean, who were you around and who influenced you? Because if we look back at that, we see that there was a type of learning that was introduced to us that has shaped a, a lot of our adulthood. And some of us grew up around people that were telling us the truth of who God is and calling us to that central truth. And some of you, like me, might have grown up around people that, that didn't know anything about God or uh, maybe were a little curious about what was around the other side. And there is a, a classic example of lostness in the Bible. We see this in the book of Luke, chapter 15. Jesus tells this story. A lot of us know this as the, as the prodigal son story, but it's about a runaway son who, who denies the father. And what he does is intentional and hurtful and defiant. And this is the classic example of lostness, but because of this, we often think, well, I'm not like that. I, I, I haven't run off and left what I know. And the problem with this type of thinking about lostness is while there's one classic example, there are tons of examples throughout all of Scripture about whole groups of people finding themselves lost. So getting lost isn't just about an individual. Wandering is a team sport. Over and over, God warns these groups of people through the prophets, groups of, of, of good people with good intentions, even called by his name, warned again and again and again that they are lost, that they need to return. There's a call for the individual we see to come back to center, but far more often, groups are asked to return. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I wasn't raised by pickpockets or thieves. I was raised by a hardworking single mom doing her best to raise four kids in the aftershock of my dad's tragic death. Some of you know my story. Uh, my dad took his own life, and that causes a ton of questions. And if you've experienced um, sudden tragedy, if you've experienced tragic death, you know what it's like to ask all these questions to God. Or is God even there? Is God even real? Does God care? Does God exist? And, and, and here's where we found ourselves as we were trying to make sense of the aftershocks of tragedy. As a family, we weren't anti-Christian. We didn't protest churches or do animal sacrifices. And a lot of people, it turns out, that don't know Jesus are pretty normal people just trying to make sense of the world, and that's where we found ourselves. But I share this because as normal people, we found distinct differences in the ways that we were treated. Some people were kind and some were not. The rudest people, though, were people that kind of judged our situation and said, this is where you're going or this is where your dad's going. And, and they, didn't take, uh, they, they didn't take time to know us. They just threw a label on our pain. They were religious people. And so I had a problem with religious people. A group of guys I played basketball with in college got me a Bible. They kept asking me to read it, and I didn't want to read it. And they said, read it. And I was like, I don't want to read it. And they said, read it. And, you know, have you had friends like that? And it's like, fine. Sometimes it's easier to just do the thing than to, like... So anyway, I read it. 
Uh, turns out there's some good stuff in the Bible. And as I started to read it, I was like, wait, isn't Jesus a religious person? Because here is Jesus, and it turns out that he had a problem with religious people too, just like I did. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to fit in. He wasn't trying to please people, which a lot of the people that I had had difficulty with, it felt like they were more concerned with how they presented themselves and who they were representing than they were with actually showing Jesus's love. And Jesus calls these people out. And it's there that I begin to understand that there's a huge difference between people who are just trying to please people and fit in and people who through God's spirit are unlearning bad habits and dealing with sin and brokenness and learning what it means to be more like Jesus. But the time I was super confused, and it wasn't just complex phrases, it was simple things. And at CTK, we try to describe big theological issues and we try to explain foundational practices in, in ways that everyone can understand. And this isn't to make the information less valuable, but it is to make it more accessible. We want every person in Whatcom County to have an opportunity to hear about the truth of Jesus. The Bible says that the cross is a stumbling block to those who don't believe, and we want to remove all the stumbling blocks that we've put in the, in the way so that someone gets an honest chance to trip over Jesus and find out if he's worth getting back up for. At the time, though, I, I didn't even understand basic uh, phrases. I didn't know what it was to give my heart to Jesus. I definitely didn't know what it was to make Jesus the center of my life. What does that even mean? In the last book of the Bible, one of Jesus' closest disciples, it seems, writes down a vision, and in that vision, he sees a picture of, 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 of what happens towards the end of time as we know it. Now, there's a lot of theories and speculations around the stuff in this book, the book of Revelation, and we won't get to those here, but the one thing that is very clear in this book is that Jesus is the center. And the writer of this book, John, says in another book that Jesus was with God and that Jesus was God. Now, this is, a, this is a person who walked with him on earth, saying, yep, we saw him as a human, but bigger than that, this Jesus is the co-creator of all that we see. And in, in this vision that he writes down, he sees all of heaven surrounding the central figure of all humanity, King Jesus. Look with me at a few of these verses. In Revelation 4, 6, it says, Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, four living creatures, and they're covered with eyes in the front and in the back. I have a lot of conversations with people, and they're like, what does it mean? And I'm like, I don't know. They're creatures. Let's focus on what we do know. They are around a throne, and that throne is central. Then I saw a lamb, this says in Revelation 5, 6. For those that don't know, this lamb is Jesus. We see this 
in, in the next phrase, as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So we get a clue now as to what these creatures are. These creatures are having access to the close inner circle and the worshiping of the one who is most central, the only one who is able to do what all others are unable to do. In Revelation 7, 17, it says, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Do you know that you find what you're looking for? You find living water when Jesus is in his right place. He gives us springs of living water and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. When I was younger, I didn't understand the cross. People would say, oh, don't you want to go and be with Jesus when you die? I was mad at, at Jesus. I was mad at God. Why would I want to spend eternity with him? I didn't understand the pain of the cross because I'd known many people who had experienced difficulty and pain. I'd grown up around tragic death. I'd grown up around a lot of people who had suffered tragedy, and I didn't understand what difference it would make in my life that a Jewish teacher 2,000 years ago died a tragic death. You see, I couldn't understand the cross or what happened on the cross until I could understand who it was on the cross. And I came to learn that the co-creator Jesus becomes like one that he created. He becomes fully human. He leaves the comfort of heaven and lives a selfless and sinless life. He agrees, like he didn't have to, but he agrees to go to the cross and die, to be humiliated by those who created. He dies, but he doesn't stay dead. He conquers death, he returns to heaven, and, 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 and more than that, he promises us to be with us and, and gives us the gift of his spirit so that we will never be alone. And this is the news that we see revealed in the four gospels in the book of Acts. And here in the book of Revelation, we see that there is no one worthy except one, the one who is to be central. King Jesus. If this is true, if God is not distant, if he is for us, if he is near, if he has sent his spirit, then he wasn't distant when my dad died. I started asking him, where were you? And I just had this deep sense as I was looking over my dad's casket that God was with me and it changed everything. And if you think about the most difficult seasons that you've walked through, and if you were to ask the Lord of all, where were you? Maybe too, you would sense that in that time of difficulty, you weren't alone, but God was with you. And if that's true, if God is near, he's with us when we doubt, when we misbehave, when we're angry, when we're uncertain, when we're confused. Jesus showed through his life that he was for us and that he was with us and that he wants all who are lost, 
whether we've gone off and got lost individually or whether we found ourselves uh, in a group that has, has, has kind of wandered off center. He wants us all to understand rightly who he is and what he's done. And the, and, and the, the, the major theme of these passages is that Jesus is the center, the center of humanity, the center of creation, the center of heaven and the center of all that is to come. We can say that we don't believe, but our lack of belief in something doesn't make it any less true. Our question is, is if Jesus is central, are we ready to align our lives around that truth? I love having people, I love having questions with people because I didn't grow up in church. I love having questions with people who aren't familiar with church or don't go to church or had bad experiences in church. And, and I often ask, I would, I would say, do you even think God is real? And it would, it would uh, reveal a lot of things. Uh, oftentimes that someone had a bad experience with a parent, maybe a pastor or uh, a friend, and that bad experience made them think that there wasn't a God. And I think that that's tragic uh, that God gets penalized for the ways that we misbehave, but I totally relate because that's where I was myself. So I stopped asking that question and I started kind of framing it a little differently. So I started asking this and I would ask you today this question. If God were real, would you want to talk to him? Oh, if God were real and you could talk to him face to face, would you want to? If God were real and you could talk to him face to face, would you want to? Now, this leads to a whole other set of thinking because now it's assuming his reality. And now it's, it's revealing what we think about God. Is he cruel and mean or is he loving and, and uh, approachable? It, it, it reveals what we think about our, ourselves. Am I disqualified? Would I even be able to? And, and some people, and I, I admire their honesty instantly, they say no, no. Like, I couldn't do that. And some people figure that maybe they'd have to work some things out for that to be a reality. But if I ask a person who claims to follow Jesus, they don't give that question the weight that, that a non-church-going person does. Usually they say flippantly without even thinking of it, yeah, 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 I'd love to meet Jesus. He's my homeboy. That would be awesome. And, 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 and to that, I have to say, do you understand what you're saying yes to? Because if you were to see Jesus face to face, you would not be standing. You would be on your face as the glory of the Holy One would overcome you and everything that you have done would be completely revealed. You would, you would have to just beg for forgiveness and, and then you would see him pull you up and say, you are my daughter or you are my son and I love you, but you would know in an instant in, in light of his holiness that you don't deserve it. And this is the tension that we have. He is accessible, but he is holy. He is for us, and we just can't take the fact that we have access to him so flippantly because he is for us being about him in all the ways that he created. Why is it easy to believe in Jesus as part of our lives, but difficult to build our lives around him? You see, it's very possible for Jesus to be real to us without him being central to us. And that's what it was for half the people when he walked on this earth. 
So how do we, as his people, go back to center? What does it mean in practical ways to make Jesus central? Now, in school, I studied the soft sciences. Uh, you might call them the social sciences. Um, it's like anthropology, sociology, psychology. We study and interpret human behavior, and we don't get cool things like the other sciences. We don't get beakers or Bunsen burners. Um, we don't get the periodic table. Um, no one that I know of puts on a soft science fair. Um, but in the study of human behavior, you find out what is unique and distinct about various groups of people and their cultures, as well as what is common for all people in all time, regardless of where they grew up and other external factors. And all people in every language are looking to answer three similar questions. Let's look at those. The first is, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? This is common as we try to uh, distinguish ourselves from others, as we try to better understand who we are. The next question is, what am I here for? Why am I here? Like, what is, what is this thing called life and what is my role in it? And the last one is, where do I fit in? Where are my people at, right? Who am I speaks to our identity what am I here for speaks to our purpose. And where do I fit in speaks to our belonging. We want to fit in. We want to belong. All people are looking to better understand their identity, their purpose, and their belonging. All people. It's almost as if all people at all time have a similar designer or a similar creator. And if we all ask the same questions, what would it mean for us as a group of people to make Jesus central in each of these areas? In 1988, a group of 54 people gathered to start a church that would be committed to worship, to outreach, and to community through small groups. And I wasn't there then, but I started attending about five years later, and CTK was a very vibrant church. There weren't a lot of frills, but there were ashtrays out front, and people were smoking, and that meant a big deal to me. It meant something that, uh, that I could go there. There was free coffee. I mean, just come and, and take coffee. There were free mugs and, 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 and free cups, and I didn't feel out of place. There was a rock band and a pastor on a stool in a shirt without a tie, and it wasn't even buttoned up. And you might not think that these things are a big deal now, but in the early 90s, this was revolutionary because this group of people cared less about fitting in with Christian culture and more about reaching the people in Whatcom County that had no idea who Jesus was. They, they, they would pray for an empty chair and they'd say, God, whoever you bring, we promise to love. God, will you just bring us people that don't look like us, that don't act like us, and will you teach us how to love them? And this place continued to grow. So how do you think I felt as a non-church kid rolling up to a rowdy group of early CTKers hearing that God would forgive my past and give me hope for the future? I'll tell you how it felt. It felt pretty good. And I have no idea if the early people knew about soft sciences or if they were more like 
beaker and periodic type people, but what I do know is that when you focus on worship and outreach and community, you are addressing the basic needs of humanity. Because it is in the worship of God that we get our eyes off ourselves and we get our, our eyes on something bigger, the one that, who created us. And when we can worship him and adore him and praise him and live for him, we don't love ourselves less, we love ourselves more. We find out what we were created for, what we were created to do. We can receive our identity, our new identity as sons or daughters of the king. And when we reach out to others, when we live selflessly and sacrificially serving we find our purpose because we weren't put here to get more stuff or be about ourselves. And we all know this, but yet it is still difficult to cross the line of the unknown and to risk doing something that we've never done before. But these steps of faith are the, are the steps that help us see that we were created for a purpose that's so much greater than ourselves. And in community, when we live out the call of Jesus together, when we practice the one and others of Jesus together, when we truly forgive, when we truly reconcile, when we don't keep records of wrongs, when we love each other and, and we celebrate victories and we mourn together on the difficulties and we look together to God in the midst of whatever is happening, we sense that we are living as a group of people the way that God intended. And we find our belonging in living much higher than we could on our own. What does it mean to find your true identity in the worship of Jesus? There's this rich guy, he comes up to Jesus, and he's like, I've done all these things since I was little to follow God. What do I do? And... Um, a lot of times people think this is about money and it's not about money. I mean, there were plenty of people with money supporting Jesus at the time. Jesus doesn't say money's bad. He says it's the love of it that's bad. If you learn how to, how to steward it and be generous with it, you can make a lot of change. But if it owns you and you're, you find your identity in it, it can ruin you. And that's what was going on here is this is, a, this is an invitation to realign this young man's identity. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus, with this person, was going after the one thing that they would find their identity in apart from him. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you enough to do the same thing with you if you let him. He will uproot the thing that you are holding on to and finding your identity in, and he will replace it with something so much greater if you let him. But it is painful I wrestled and resisted with Jesus so long because I knew that he wanted everything. I knew that I couldn't just give him my Sundays. I wasn't doing anything on Sundays. Jesus wanted it all, and I was scared to death. What does it mean? I don't know what's on the other side of surrender, but I think that might be the point of faith, that I take an active step of believing that you are greater, God, and I'll let go of everything. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. We are to just give all that we have, just all that I am to you, Lord, and see what he does. Is Jesus central to your identity? Was Jesus central to your purpose? Almost every adult I know, when you meet a kid, it's like, oh, hello, hi. We, we ask them the same question, and I do this too. Like, it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, I don't think it's a bad question, but I do think maybe uh, culturally we're programming children together to think about their own wants and their own desires, and we got enough of that. So maybe, maybe let's do it differently. I mean, how old do you have to be before we can start asking questions like, what do you think it is that God has made you for? What do you think it is that God's made you for? Because when Jesus goes up to heaven, or before he does, he gives us pretty clear instructions that we're to, 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 to make disciples and, and show ridiculous radical love and teach others to do the same and, and be baptized into his name and called by his name. And, and we're to love each other so incredibly that people know that there's a God in heaven. And so we know generally what we've been called to, but we don't know specifically and when we ask questions like this, this is why it's a good idea to have Jesus friends. Do you have Jesus friends? This is what's great about Jesus friends. Jesus friends will say, when I see you doing that, it's like I see the presence of God. When you, when you serve that way, I, I see the joy of the Lord. Like, I am so encouraged when you do that thing. I think God has created you for that. When you see someone serving, please encourage them. And if you see them serving in a way that, that lights up their, their whole face, their whole countenance, let them know. I think God might have created you for that. Because we're all kind of trying to figure out uh, each other's role in this collective jigsaw puzzle that God has called us to as uh, co-servants in his kingdom. So sometimes, though, we need to take a risky step of faith. I mean, if you can't go to Africa, can you help at the farm? And if you can't go to the farm, what about the, the cold weather shelter that we put on? We, we, we try to keep people in our community out of the weather that, 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 that gets so bad for a couple months out of the year. I mean, could you join a rooted group that, that is focused on learning more about Jesus, but, but you're going to learn how to how to serve him practically together, you, you, you got to do something that reminds your cluttered soul that life is not about you. It's about something way, way bigger. As a group, we must continually ask if we're finding our purpose in Jesus and what he's created for or in something else. And then we also have to ask, is Jesus central to our belonging if you would have asked me years ago, hey, Derek, do you have good friends? I would have said yes. I probably would have fought you over them. I mean, I, 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 I thought, man, I've just got the best friends. But if you ask me, are, do you have a group of friends that help you be who God created you to be or call you to the centrality of him? I would have been totally exposed. I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I got good friends, but they're, they're not, not that type of friends. Um, I, I had good friends, but I, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't agree with their preferences. You see, preference is the biggest barrier to discipleship. I'm going to say that again. Preference is your biggest barrier to discipleship. 
If we all live by our own preferences, we would never get along. We're called to lay our preferences down and learn to be about something more, uh, something greater, something bigger than what it is that we want or that we prefer. And groups of people have divided over preferences. Music too loud, too soft, too old, too new. Um, Jesus isn't about those type of things, right? He's calling us to something so greater. And I knew my friends loved me, but I wasn't sure if they'd still love me if I didn't agree with them. And here's this group of people that I don't even hardly know, and I realize these basketball friends are more anchored in something than I was. And they were anchored in Jesus, calling us back to center, not just someone's opinions. Do you know what's interesting about God? God doesn't have opinions. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't have opinions. He's simply the truth. And something in me realized that I had to be around people that would help me be more about God's truth than about their opinions. When Jesus says in John 10, 10, that he's come to have uh, give us life to the full. It must mean community and great friendships because he's always talking about forgiveness and reconciliation and washing each other's feet and sacrificial love. And, 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 and he attracted a wide variety of people who were nothing like each other. And he calls this wild, diverse group of people by his name, his family, the church. And life to the full is accomplished in community when we can laugh together and live in the ways that God's designed And when we lose our way, as we sometimes do, we need to be in a group where someone sees the clearly marked signs and helps call us back to center. I wonder, who are you in your friend group? Are you the one that just, you see any sign of like, no, we shouldn't do that, and you just, you're out of there? Are you the one just running into trouble? Uh, gossip, slander. I mean, it's not just bad, rebellious trouble. Um, it's some of the, the ways that, that, that groups travel into trouble with groupthink and the like. Or are you the ones standing in the back saying, hey, we got to go back to center. We were made for more than this. God has a bigger perspective in this. I've thought a lot about this giraffe story. I mean, I don't know if you've had an experience that you think of, but, but I think about this giraffe story. It's kind of what I took away um, because what if I ran into a giraffe or the giraffe ran into me, you know, like, whoa. Um, I think sometimes we keep going after something with the illusion that it's gonna give us more than what we want. But you know what? There was a place for us to encounter wild giraffes safely and it was back to center. And sometimes the safest place for us to experience what we think that we'll get running off on our own has already been established in the ways that Jesus has established us finding our identity, purpose, and belonging. A few people asked me this week what I was speaking on, and I'd say, well, you know, keeping Jesus central, and they'd laugh and, and go like, oh, yeah, another message on, on uh, praying more and reading your Bible more, and I'd say, maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you need. But what I do know is Jesus is central. 
And there's nothing any of us could do that would make him more central. He is already central. There are some things each of us could do that would make the reality of his centrality more clear in our lives. And if praying helps and if if reading your Bible helps, then do those things, sure. But what I'm talking about is that, that the creator of the world has created all of us to find what we are all looking for in him. So in this season, instead of us wandering off with groupthink or or living in our own echo chambers or being frustrated that we're unfulfilled or being uncertain about the things that we'll never really know the answer to anyway, why don't we come together and be about what we know is true? Why don't we return to the things that we know to be true? Why don't we find our identity and our purpose and our belonging back in the one who created in us the longing for those things in the first place? Can we go back to center? Will you stand with me? At CTK, we believe that Jesus has done great things. And it is a great thing that we have an opportunity today to go right back into him. The signs are clearly marked and we can come and say, yes, God, I want to go back to you. But it takes courage. It takes boldness. It takes identifying that we weren't there, that we've drifted off. And you know what? That's what the people of God do. We come back to center but we're gonna celebrate him and I'm gonna invite some of you to pray a bold prayer with me. And it might be a courageous prayer and then I'm gonna invite us all to worship God together. So let's pray. God, for those who are angry, I invite God them to be angry with you. I know that you are the safest place to work out anger. God, I know that there's no question that you can't answer. But I do know, Lord, that if we uh, take and work out our anger in other places, we often build a wall between us and you. And I hope that people in this room who who are experiencing difficulty, God, could direct the honesty of those questions to you and surround themselves with people who would be honest and bold and brave enough to say, oh, God hurts with you. God weeps when you weep. But God has not forgotten you. God is near and God will see you through this. God, for those who have um, started to find identity in other things. God, I had a list of 20 things. And I'm always tempted to find my identity in something other than you. But God, would you draw us back to center? Would you be the center of our identity? God, our purpose. God, we're trying to validate our existence all the time by showing others, look at what I did, look at what I did. God, would you help us repent of the times that we're trying to steal your glory and say, look at what God gave me. I don't deserve this, but man, and honestly steward our accomplishments humbly. That's that's the honest way we can, like, like if you're gonna be great in an area, be great, just do it humbly with the spirit of God with you giving him praise and thanks. And if if we've lost some sense of belonging or identity, we're afraid of the church or embarrassed of what it represents, or we find more joy with other friends that run off in trails and get lost than we do with the people that are supposed to call us to what you've called us to together. God, would you help us? God, establish deeper friendships, better friends in small groups or big groups or whatever. But I just know, God, that you want to help us find our identity, our purpose, and our belonging in you. Thank you 
for being the one who is worthy, the one who is worth building our lives around and inviting us daily back to center. It is in your wonderful name together we pray, Jesus. Amen.